This is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hammerich. Today, in episode six, we talk about in crop weed management options and pulses. Unfortunately, there are not many options available, and in some scenarios, no options. This is due to a number of factors, such as pulses being broad leaves, and especially in the case of lentils and chickpeas, not very competitive. There's also some more recent threats like herbicide-resistant weeds and palmer amaranth making things even more challenging. If you're new to pulse crops, they include crops such as field peas, chickpeas, and lentils. This show follows some pulse crop farmers throughout the growing season and dives into the research that's helping them through some of the challenges they face. We'll also talk to a number of industry stakeholders along the way. Today's episode features some familiar voices for those of you who have listened to previous episodes. One of our most popular shows so far was episode two about pre-plant herbicide applications with farmer Ryan Ellis and North Dakota State University weed scientist Dr. Brian Jenks. We brought both of them back on this show to talk about post-emergence weed management and resistance. In case you missed that first episode, here's some background on Williston farmer Ryan Ellis. So I farm with my dad and we farm about 4,000 acres and well, I guess this year it'll be about 5,000 acres and then um, we have five to 600 head of cattle too. So we grow crops, we grow a little bit of everything. This year we're going to have durum, peas, green peas, lentils, we grow green lentils, some soybeans, flax, and we don't have any winter wheat this year. Then we have some forages, some like mixed cover crop, full season cover crops. Ryan emphasized he has always stuck with green lentils. I asked him what it was about green lentils that has kept him from wanting to experiment with others. Cost and then the see you know the value on the backside, on the harvest side. A lot of those at least a lot of the ones I've ever been around or seen were a small red lentil that are clear field. And I, I know there's more. There's medium greens. There's all sorts of kinds. When you look at the yield trials, I've never seen a real yield advantage, so I'm willing to put up with some dirtier, weedier fields that are going to yield potentially better. And then it's just the green ones are, you know, there's a market for them, so it seems like it's easier to get rid of. But there's red ones, I think there's less quality issues with them. I don't think there's much bleach or anything you have to be worried about, so they're probably easier to handle or to to worry about on harvest. Greens, you just have to make sure you cut them as soon as you can because they bleach and that which affects quality and ultimately price. One message that I hope has been loud and clear throughout this podcast series is the need for very deliberate and diverse rotations to help manage pests and diseases. Ryan is not only careful with putting years in between planting pulses, but he also rotates the type of pulse crop he plants in a field when it comes up in the rotation. My rotation's always sort of changing. Lately, I've been, the last few years, I've been trying for like three to four years in between a pulse. And then, like I said, when that pulse year comes up, I look back to what the previous pulse was. So if it was lentils three or four years ago, then I try to go peas that year. So in between any one lentil crop, I'm hoping for six to eight years. Um, same would go for peas. But our rotation, even six years ago wasn't as many crops as we have now. So, and I'm sure in 10 years, my rotation will look completely different, but currently that's what I'm kind of at. Rotation, as well as fall and spring applied pre-emergent herbicides are critical. This is because there are very few in-crop herbicide options and because pulses, especially lentils and chickpeas, are just not very competitive. 
lentils especially. Lentils only, you know, a tall lentil is maybe a foot tall. And then once the pods and everything fill on it, it kind of flattens out. And when you're cutting it, you're lucky if it's 8, 10 inches kind of fluffed up. Peas are a little more competitive. They just are so slow growing that it takes them forever to get bushed out. Once they get bushed out, then they're fine. But yeah, lentils are same thing. They're just not much material there. So there's just not a lot of competition. I mentioned at the top of the show how limited the tools are for pulse farmers when it comes to in-crop herbicides. Ryan mentioned some of the tools he uses back in episode two, so I'd encourage you to check that out if you hadn't. But here's a refresher on the in-crop options he has to consider. There are some in-crop chemicals you can use, but they're either kind of expensive or they don't work all that well. But there's uh, Raptor, which is the same formulation as Beyond, which is what the Clearfield varieties use. Raptor and Beyond, as far as I know, are basically the same thing, just Beyond is not labeled in peas. Raptor is the one that's labeled for peas. And then Bassagran is another chemical. So those two you're supposed to kind of mix together and you're supposed to get it when the weeds are small. And then I think you're supposed to follow up 10 days later again or something, but we've never really done it. It's pretty expensive and it's hit or miss whether it works. My cousin's done it the last couple of years and had really good luck with it. So I suppose that'd be an option. Kosha is kind of the main weed that we're trying to keep down in the pulses. Battling broadleaf weeds like kochia is difficult because pulses are obviously broadleafs themselves. But even managing weeds that are grasses is increasingly difficult as many weeds develop resistance to herbicides. This will be a primary focus on this episode, so I asked Ryan if he's seeing signs of resistance on his farm. Yep, and that'd be group one, that'd be like your green and yellow foxtail and, and wild oats and stuff, so that'd be your resistance that would be giving you problems in your cereal crops it goes over into the pulses. Unless you have a clear field variety, the main chemical you can spray in pulses are like a Sure 2 and Clefidim, but they're both group ones as well for killing grasses in the pulses. So yeah, I mean, group one resistance is certainly going to be a problem. It is a problem, but it's going to continue to be a problem. And then uh, there's a lot of group two resistance, I think, especially in Canada. <laughs> it's Resistance in general is going to be a problem. In addition to resistance, North Dakota farmers are seeing new weeds move into the area. One in particular has both Ryan and Dr. Brian Jenks, who you're going to hear from in a minute, very concerned. The big one that's not in our immediate area, it's in North Dakota, but is at Palmer Amaranth. And so they've been talking about it a lot at the winter meetings the last couple of years. And if that, or when I should probably say that, shows up in, in pulses, that is going to be a nightmare. I mean, there's little to no weed control anyway in pulses, so. We're going to hear more about this Palmer Amaranth problem as we move into the second segment of our show today with Dr. Brian Jenks. But first, we'll dive deeper into why there aren't more options for farmers like Ryan Ellis and what farmers can do about this problem of resistance. Dr. Jenks has spent the past 22 years as a weed scientist at the North Dakota State University North Central Research Extension Center in Minot, North Dakota. He has a research extension appointment and focuses a lot of his time on pulse crops. He begins our conversation with some direction on how farmers can control in-crop weeds with so few options. We know that peas, lentils, and chickpeas, at least initially, are not the most competitive weeds. Once peas gets going, they can be quite competitive, but obviously lentils and chickpeas aren't that competitive and we don't have that many post-emergence options. So really the only post-emergence option that we have 
is for peas. And as usual, the weeds post-emergence are more easily controlled when the weeds are smaller. When I say smaller, I'm talking two to four inches maximum. For example, we've seen with one troublesome weed, wild buckwheat, that's a, a real nemesis for us. When we spray our post-emergence herbicides, such as uh, Raptor and Bassagran or Varisto, when we spray the wild buckwheat, by the time it has two leaves or earlier, we can get fairly decent control. But if we wait till there's three leaves or more, we definitely start losing control. We also see something similar with kochia. I know a lot of growers, even crop consultants, don't don't necessarily think that Bassagran controls kochia. We've seen that if you spray kochia when it's one or two inches tall with Bassagran, you can get fairly decent control on kochia. You can get even better control if you come in with a split application, say a pint of Bassagran when it's one to two inches tall, and then come back a week or 10 days later with a second pint, you can get up to 90% control of that kochia. So in general, we have to spray the weeds when they're small in order to get decent control. Because if we wait till the weeds are four to six inches tall, we're going to miss them. As we discussed back in episode two in more detail, the best option is an effective pre-emergence plan. But Mother Nature doesn't always cooperate, and soil-applied herbicides need a rain to activate them. If we don't get those spring rains to activate our soil-applied herbicides, we're going to end up with more weeds in the crop. And in lentils and chickpeas, we just don't have post-emergence options. That's why for these crops, it's even more important then to do what we can in the fall to take out a lot of those weeds because then we're not so dependent on that rainfall in the spring. If we can take out 70 to 90% of the weeds in the fall, then we're not so dependent on the rain to help us start clean. Again, in peas, we have a couple of post-emergence options, uh, but with those Bassagran Raptor, we've got to get the weeds when they're small, but we don't want to be dependent on the post-emergence herbicides because if we have a dirty field and we're relying solely on post-emergence options, we might have an ugly looking field. With the clear need for more tools in the toolbox, I asked Brian why he thinks we haven't seen more companies come out with new modes of action to help pulse growers with these problems. Well, it comes down to multiple factors. It's not because the companies have not been trying to find new modes of action or new chemistries, but it's difficult to find a chemistry that is safe on the crop, controls multiple weeds, is fairly easy to make, relatively inexpensive to make, but then also, and number one, it has to go through all the safety tests through EPA. And so it costs many millions of dollars for the companies to do this. The likelihood of finding a new product is just so slim. And so we're not expecting any new products on the market, any new modes of action for several years. And of course, most of those new products will be targeted to the larger acreage crops, such as corn and soybeans and, and maybe wheat. And then we hope that 
some of these products may also be safe enough to use in pulse crops. New modes of action would definitely be welcomed, especially considering the resistance problem to current herbicides. Brian elaborates on where he is seeing the most resistance in his area. We have, as I mentioned, glyphosate-resistant kochia, glyphosate-resistant horseweed. Those are probably our two big ones in the western part of the state, as far as broadleaves go. But also wild oat and green foxtail are becoming bigger challenges because where growers grow a lot of wheat, and maybe it's wheat every other year, which is quite common and understandable, we have some populations across the state where we have tested them. In 2018, we tested about 67 wild oat populations. This year, we tested probably around 60 or so. And then we've also tested probably close to 100 populations of green foxtail. And what we're finding is a lot of group one and group two resistance. And of course, when we're talking about group one for wheat, we're talking Puma, Axial, Sure 2 and Select. Those are group ones. Now, Puma and Axial used in wheat, but Sure 2 and Select would be used post-emergence in pulse crops. We're finding a lot of resistance to these herbicides, with the exception of Select. A high resistance with Puma and Axial, a high resistance with Assure 2, fortunately, low resistance with Select. For pulse growers that need to control wild oat and green foxtail, many of them are typically using Select or Clethodim as the common name to control grasses in their pulse crops. And again, a lot of the reason for that is we used to use a sure 2 a lot here in the state, but now we've got a lot of wild oat and foxtail that is resistant to a sure 2 And fortunately, Select or Clethodim still works for us in most cases. He says when he started 22 years ago, there was a little bit of resistance to green foxtail and maybe a little bit to wild oat, but it has certainly taken off in the last decade or so to the point that some growers are running low on options. There are some farmers in the state where they do not have a group one or group two herbicide that will control their wild oat. And in those cases, and this is probably more common in the northeast part of the state, where they are doing conventional tillage and they're bringing back the old herbicide called Fargo, F-A-R-G-O, to control wild oat. It still works for them. You know, Fargo is a wild oat herbicide that was used, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And it's a herbicide that has to be incorporated, meaning you either spread granules or you spray it across the field, and then you have to incorporate it with tillage equipment. Some growers are having fairly good success with it. Talked to a couple recently that are getting 80-90% control, so that's great for them. But that herbicide would not work for us in the western part of the state because we don't do tillage. And so, yeah, that is a herbicide that we had to dust off the shelf in order to control wild oat in the eastern part of the state. So what about that western part of the state where it's not an option? The most important thing there is the point you keep hearing more diverse rotations. 
the growers that I talk to that have a very limited rotation, those are where we have the biggest problems, especially with resistance. I'm not saying if you have a diverse rotation, you're not going to have resistance problems, but I think the potential is there to have fewer problems. And so the more diverse the rotation, I think we tend to have fewer resistance issues. Now, you know, having a new herbicide like Tough in chickpeas, that will definitely help the chickpea growers because right now they've got no options for controlling broadleaf weeds in chickpeas. And so I, I think diversity is going to have to be key as much as possible, uh, crop diversity. Another thing is understanding the different chemistries because not all growers understand, you know, which are the group ones, which are group twos, group nines, group 14s, 27s. And I understand that. If I didn't work on this full time, it would be confusing to me too. But I think the more growers look at being diverse, look at which chemistries they're using, are they diversifying the herbicides, I think they'll be more successful and have more hope. There are resources available to help farmers diversify their modes of action as much as possible. Brian recommends the North Dakota Weed Control Guide, and there are likely similar resources available where you live. In addition to diversifying rotations and modes of action, there are other considerations as well, he says, are important. Things like pH, organic matter, and texture. Growers may call me and say, well, should I use Spartan in my peas? And if so, what rate? Well, unfortunately, there isn't a blanket answer to give. But through the research, we were able to see, okay, pH plays a huge role in not only the effectiveness on the weeds, but on the safety of the crop. And so that's why I say to growers when they ask me about using Spartan, well, what's your pH, what's your organic matter, what's your texture? Because that will determine whether or not you use Spartan at a given rate or whether you use it at all. Because Spartan is a herbicide that we depend on significantly throughout the entire state. If it's not the key herbicide in the state, it is certainly in the top tier of herbicides that we use in the state because it controls kochia and it controls other broadleaf weeds. And we use it in so many crops. We use it in peas and chickpeas, flax, soybeans, sunflower. And so, you know, what we learned in those first few years is how can we use it in peas and chickpeas and make it safe on the crop. That's probably one of the first things that we learned the first few years I was here. We're going to conclude our episode today with a recent weed that is rearing its ugly head in North Dakota. This is the one Ryan Ellis mentioned earlier being concerned about entering his area, Palmer Amaranth. And he has good reason to be concerned, says Brian. One of the concerns I have for the western part of the state is a weed called Palmer. And we've talked about it with growers a lot. Most of them are aware of it. But we need to be vigilant to make sure that we're looking out for this weed because if we do get it in our pulse crops, it will be a monster to control. None of the herbicides that we have post-emergence in pulse crops will control Palmer. And last year, 2019, we found a lot of Palmer in millet crops in the 
south, central, and western part of the state. And if we then rotate to a pulse crop, then I'm concerned that we may not be able to control Palmer this year. And so we're just trying to get the word out to watch for Palmer. If you were a millet grower in 2019, you need to be monitoring those fields that you grew last year, as well as if you hate that millet, where did you take that millet? Did you feed it to cattle in the feedlot, in fields? Because wherever you took that millet, very likely the palmer is going to follow. So that's just an area of concern that I have for the western part of the state. Because in the eastern part of the state, you know, where you're growing corn and soybeans, you have more herbicide options. But in the western part of the state, where we've got our minor crops, peas, lentils, chickpeas, flax, sunflower, safflower, etc., we will not have post-emergence options to control Palmer. Brian says the weed seed was brought in with contaminated millet seed from other states. The challenge with controlling this issue is that even a tiny amount of Palmer seed can lead to a big problem. What happens with millet is it's seeded about 20 pounds per acre. And in some of the fields, we were only finding one plant per acre. But you only need one plant and let it go to seed because it can produce up to a million seeds per plant. So even one plant is too many. But if you only have one weed seed in 20 pounds, you're going to have a hard time finding that. You can sample many times and you're not going to find that one seed. Now, granted, there were other fields where we found more than one plant per acre, but I think what was happening is maybe they were probably testing, but just not finding it because it was in such small quantities. But like I say, even one plant can produce so many seeds, and even that one plant can then turn into quite an infestation. If you're in North Dakota, please be watching vigilantly to try to stop the spread of this weed as best as possible. Big thank you to Dr. Brian Jenks and, of course, to Williston farmer Ryan Ellis for sharing their experiences and expertise on the show today. I think we got to tackle some really significant issues for pulse crop growers. We have a lot more great information coming your way throughout the 2020 growing season. Please subscribe and tell a friend who's also interested in pulses. You can find all of the episodes at our website, www.growingpulsecrops.com. This show is brought to you by the Pulse Crops Working Group with support from the North Central IPM Center. We're releasing two of these every month throughout the growing season, so we look forward to bringing you your next episode very soon. Mm-hmm.